So let's stand for the reading of God's word, Luke 14. The context is that Jesus is actually at a meal hosted by religious leaders, and he has already entered into a very awkward situation. He himself has caused the awkwardness. And so one of the individuals at the meal, I think seeking to bring relief from the tension that Jesus has created, makes a statement, and then it gets worse. Are you ready? Luke 14, beginning at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him, that's Jesus, heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come, to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father in heaven, we come to your holy word. We come in the power of the Holy Spirit. We come to see what it is you want for us, what you've done for us, what you're doing for us, how we might be made different, to live out the permanent identity we have in you, to feast and long for more feasting, to taste that you're good and to long for more. You alone can create that hunger. You alone can satisfy that hunger. We come in the name of Christ asking you to do that now. Create in us what we cannot create ourselves. Satisfy in us what you can only satisfy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If someone were to ask me to say in a sentence, what do you want to happen today? I would simply say, I want every person here to taste his banquet. I want you to taste his banquet. Luke tells us this account and he begins by showing us how a group of religious leaders we're seeking to set up Jesus. If you didn't bring your, your own Bible, I'd encourage you to grab the Blue Pew Bible in front of you and turn to Luke 14. Because to understand the setting of this parable, we need to go back to the beginning of Luke 14. And what we're told is that there is a, a gathering, a meal, that one religious, religious leader has hosted. And we know that this gathering is nothing more than a setup. It is not a genuine interest in Jesus to find out more about who he is and to share a meal together. We're told, verse 1 of Luke 14, one Sabbath, that's significant that it's set on the Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees 
they were watching him carefully. So this group of religious leaders were inviting Jesus close to them so essentially they could see his errors, his flaws. The significance of it being on the Sabbath is because they loved all the laws surrounding the Sabbath. And so there's a man actually present, whether he was invited as a guest or they placed him there, I'm not sure, but I believe it was intentional, who needs healing. He has dropsy. He is sick. And Jesus sees him. I believe this is intentional. Verse two, Luke says, behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees by saying this. And this is the beginning of Jesus creating the awkwardness. Jesus asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So suddenly you can imagine the conversation in the room. It gets really quiet. Who's going to respond? They're watching him closely. And so they just remain silent. Then he took the man who was sick and he healed him and sent him away. The word healed there means he was healed completely. The illness that he had, it, there would have been evidence of it, swollen belly. It would have been very, very clear that the fluids in his body were expanding his body and suddenly he's healed completely. They witnessed this. And guess what they're thinking? That's a sin. We've got him. Jesus is brilliant and he says to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. And the reason they couldn't reply because it actually was permissible to pull an ox out of a ditch. And if they said they could do that, then they were simply saying, the animal has more value than this man. So they didn't speak. Jesus wasn't done. What he wants to do now is attack the guest. And so Jesus looks around at those who were at the meal and he begins to tell a parable about those who seek the places of honor. And so imagine you're there and Jesus begins to say this. He says, when you were invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person and then you will begin with the shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that, by, that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus is now gone at the guest. And they, had done, they did that. They were looking at one another. Where's my place? We do it too, don't you? In fact, if you don't do it, you're probably thinking, I'm glad I'm not like them. So the self is still right there beneath the surface, not that deep. After going after the guest, Jesus goes after the host. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends, those around the table, or your brothers, or your relatives, or rich neighbors. In other words, Jesus is saying, you shouldn't have invited this group. Parables shock. Parables stay with us. Parables reveal the truth about our standing. Jesus says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, and you'll be blessed. 
because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's easy to be hard on these guys, but I have never had a dinner in my home with just the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I've never been invited to a meal unless it was a part of some mission to the city that was filled with people who were poor, crippled, blind, and lame. It's easy to be hard on them, but what Jesus is saying is really awkward. It's really hard, and it's really uncomfortable. It sticks with us. What did he mean? Did he mean really that that's what our meals should always look like? What did he mean? That's what parables do. They, can, they take us to a place of really trying to understand, Father, what did you mean? So Jesus finishes speaking at this moment, and you can imagine the awkwardness as they're looking at one another saying, I shouldn't have thought that this way about myself, and I shouldn't have invited this group. Who is this guy anyway? I don't know how long the awkward silence went on until one of them finally, I think, just to bring some relief in hopes that they could move on with the meal, says this, well, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And you know he thought, that's the greatest thing to say. We're going to move on. But oh, it gets a lot worse. <laughs> Jesus takes that opportunity and says, I have another story. Verse 16, and he begins with the parable that we just read. Parables shock us. They stick with us. And they reveal to us our standing before God. And so Jesus speaks. And what he does is he describes the great banquet. And when Jesus is describing the banquet, those listening would have understood that this wasn't just a, an annual feast. This is something much greater. He, he's describing this heavenly banquet. He is describing a banquet that would, been, would have been given by someone who had incredible resources. He is describing a banquet that would not have had any flaws. If it was the wedding reception, the mother of the bride wouldn't have been able to find anything wrong. Nothing. The wedding coordinator would have simply said, it's already, there's, there's nothing I can imagine that can be improved upon. And the guests would have sensed that. This is the greatest banquet that has ever been given. And so in these times, as Jesus was speaking, it was customary for an invitation to go out twice. The first invitation was somewhat like a save the date, maybe for someone's wedding. But the difference was whoever received that invitation would immediately respond by saying, I accept. It wasn't just put it on your calendar and you can RSVP later. It was, I receive it, I've been invited, I'm honored, I accept. Then on the day of the event, the servant would go out and announce, it's time, it's all ready. That's why what's about to unfold is so offensive. Because the invitation had been sent in advance. Those who have been invited would have said, we're coming. And now, as the courier and the servant goes out to say, it's ready, these three in this parable say, I cannot come. I cannot come to the banquet. Have me excused. So let's look at their excuses. Verse 16, he said to him, a man once gave a banquet and invited many. 
And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Three excuses. One is a field. I must go and see it. The second one, I have purchased five yoke of oxen. I must go examine them. Third one, I have a wife. I'm a newlywed. Have me excused. What do these have in common? Well, first of all, they're all lame. <laughs> Every excuse. And actually, except for the third one, they're littered in lies. The people that Jesus would be referring to would be people of means, people with resources, those who have the ability to possess things. And so the first one says, I've bought a field. I must go and see it. Well, it's a lie. Not that he bought a field, but you don't buy a field that you haven't seen. And if you do and you trusted somebody for it, well, you could wait till the next day because the field's going to be there. The motivation was greater than just the desire to see the field, to say no to the banquet. The second one is a man who had plans. He had plans related to his possession. We're told that he bought five yoke of oxen. That's significant. One set of oxen, equally yoked, would be able to plow a, a massive acreage. But here we have five. That means that this man had a production. He knew what he was doing. And anybody with that type of resources would have known that these oxen are good. And even if he didn't know, he trusted someone else, one of his servants, he could still examine them tomorrow. His plans to go and see them and not go to the banquet is motivated by something deeper than just 20,000 pounds of ox. The third one we're most sympathetic with, aren't we? I'm married. I can't come. Well, it's also a lame excuse because people and possessions and plans, all three represented here, are only good things compared to the great. But here's the problem. These good things have satisfied these men so much so that they no longer hunger for the great. And the same thing happens to us all the time. One of the things that these three, the plans, the possessions, the people have in common is that they're actually good things. There is nothing wrong with owning possessions. There's nothing wrong with having plans to use those possessions or see those possessions. There's certainly nothing wrong with people but those things compared to the feast, to the banquet of God, to being in relationship with God, pale in comparison. And that's the subtle truth of what Jesus is saying. John Piper says the greatest enemy of a hunger for God is not poison, it's apple pie. It's not the X-rated video it's the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. And if you want to spend time truly trying to understand why these men didn't go to the banquet, it's actually really simple. They just 
weren't hungry. Hunger is the greatest motivator of our life. Whatever we desire dictates what we hunger for. And these men were not hungry for God. Maybe when the first invitation came, they thought, yes, that's honorable, that's good, I'll go. But in that moment, when the courier is out, when the servant goes out and said, everything is now ready, their appetite had been suppressed by something. And that which suppressed their appetite was simply good things. And it happens to us. Good things like family, like ministry, good things like providing, good things like pleasure. But there's only one great thing. And the greatest enemy of being hungry for that great thing is to be satisfied with so many good things. And so many good things in our life create this long, seemingly endless list of anxieties that are connected to them. So suddenly, when there's an opportunity for us to taste the banquet, when there's an opportunity for us to be engaged in the worship of the Lord, sometimes, and maybe often, those lesser hungers begin to satisfy in a way that causes us to say, I cannot come. I cannot come. I cannot come. Jesus gives this parable to shock those who are listening. He gives this parable that it might stay with them, that they can think about their standing before the Lord and what he's going to tell them at the end of his parable is you're not going to taste my banquet. My banquet. It's my banquet. So who makes it to the banquet? Let's look. The servant returns to the master. And he reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. That second part is a sign of the gospel going to the Gentiles, to us. God wants his house filled. So who fills it? Who's around the banquet table? Well, it's easy to see. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. What did they have in common? The first group of men that were invited weren't hungry. They were satisfied with good things, good plans, good possessions, a good relationship. So much so that the hunger for the great wasn't there. It had dissipated. It was gone. What do they have in common? The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Well, by nature, they're beggars. They're hungry. They're in need. And where do they live? Outside the city. And so what does the master say? Go. Go and get them. And bring them in. Where are you in this parable? Most of us fight hard against the idea of being needy. 
Most of us work hard to make sure our children aren't needy. But the truth is, the ones surrounding the banquet table, the great banquet table, are the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And what they have in common is really amazing. The first group said, I can't come to the banquet. Three times, I can't come. Excuse me, I can't come. Excuse me, I cannot come. Those who have been pursued by the servant, who are crippled, poor, blind, and lame, would have at least in their thought pattern had the same answer. I cannot come to the banquet. Look at me. I could never go to that banquet. I, I can't walk. I'm crippled. I can't see the way. I'm blind. I, I'm not clothed appropriately. I'm poor and I'm impoverished in dirty rags. I'm lame. Who's going to take me there? And this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so beautiful. They were right. They cannot come to the banquet. Not in their own flesh. Not by their own strength. Not by their own riches. Not by their own ability to clean themselves up. Even if they did the very best as they approached this great banquet, they would have been rejected by society who saw them coming. But there the gospel moves. In utter dependence in absolute dependence on someone else, they were brought. The servant compels them to come. And out of their dependence, as beggars, they come. And so picture the feast. The story shocks. The story stays with us. The story reveals our standing. Those listening to the story would have said, I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be like the crippled, the poor, the blind, and the lame. I like how I'm dressed. I like what I possess. I like the people that I know. I like my prosperity. Yes, I know. And it's keeping you from hungering for the great. And what the master says is, fill my house with those people who are poor, crippled, blind, and lame, that they may feast. So my friends, set your eyes on this banquet. Imagine what it would look like to be just standing there watching as one after another is carried in to feast. Imagine the meal that they had been eating before and the one before that and the one before that. Did they have utensils? Did they have a bowl? Was it already half chewed and just left for someone else? Was it the feast that animals would eat and long to eat? What was it? But not anymore. They are at a table that is perfect. And they are tasting food that is perfect. And they're looking around at others like them. And their mind is being blown because the host of this great banquet not only has prepared it for them, but given them the way to come. And there's still room. 
and there's still room. And the master says, go out even further and compel them to come. Have you tasted the banquet? Have you recognized your own spiritual paralysis that you are crippled? Have you recognized your own spiritual blindness and said, Jesus, help me see? Have you actually prayed and believed what Jesus taught? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Have you recognized your inability, complete inability to move towards God? If you have, then you have tasted the banquet. Because at some point in your life, you admitted what Paul said, we weren't sick, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We didn't just need a little medicine to help us get better. We needed the king, the servant, the master to lavish us with his rich grace, causing us to be made alive together in him. And when that happened, we tasted his banquet. And that taste was just a foreshadow of what this eternal banquet really will be. And what happened was that the God and the only God and the only one who could create this hunger did. And you at some point in your life said, I need to taste Jesus. And the one who created that hunger in you, the only one who could, also satisfied. And you took and you ate and you tasted that it was good. And you were secure at that moment in your salvation. But some, some have thought the way to hunger for God is to be religious. Some have thought the way to hunger for God is to earn God's favor by really working hard, having really good plans and possessions, knowing the right people. And along the road, somehow they missed it. They actually responded to the first invitation, these Pharisees, I believe they did. They thought they had a hunger for God and obeying the law perfectly. But the moment that the servant arrived, that he was on the scene, that his kingdom was unfolding, they rejected him. And that's why at the end, Jesus says, I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Have you tasted the banquet of our living God? If you have, then you are eternally secure. He created that hunger in you and he satisfies that hunger. This side of heaven, we battle because things aren't yet perfect. We battle with the temptation to trust in lesser things, to become satisfied with good things so that we no longer hunger for the great. But by God's faithfulness, through his faithfulness, in moments like this, he reminds us that we've been satisfied with something else. And we have the freedom then in Christ to repent. And you know what that's a sign of? Hunger. It's a sign that you really are hungry for God because he created that hunger and he satisfies it. Let me explain it this way. A couple of weeks ago, I was with my family and a number of other people from the church in Israel. 
You're going to hear a lot about that, I imagine, over the years, months, weeks, whatever. But there was a moment when there was a shepherd in this place called Little Nazareth, much like Williamsburg here, where people are dressed as they would have been in Jesus' day, and you see a tomb, and you see a manger. Well, there was a shepherd, and he looked like a shepherd. And he had sheep, but the sheep weren't roaming freely. They were in a pen. There were about 30 of them, and he stood there, and we talked to him. Well, my little ones wanted to feed the sheep, but there was nothing to feed them. The sheep just kind of mulled around. And then I saw a pasture not too far away of wheat. My ADD was kicking in pretty hard. So I moved to that field, and I just grabbed a handful of wheat. I'm about 30 yards away from the sheep, and all it took was for one of them, one of them to look up and see what was in my hand. And as I moved close to that sheep's pen, they all turned and began to climb up on one another, eager to take that which was in my hand. The shepherd no longer mattered. The food was in my hand. Our church, the folks from our church there watching, looked, many of them took pictures, so I have a picture of this. And as these sheep climbed on top of one another, as I held out the wheat to my kids to feed them, I said, oh, if only that's the way the congregation would respond on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Here's the truth. You can. You are. Some of you, not as you once did, some of you today probably more than you ever have. You are hungering for God because he created that hunger in you and only he can satisfy it. And this is really important. At the foot of this pulpit in cast iron is wheat that is growing up because the pulpit symbolizes the word of God and no matter which man is standing behind their preaching, the word of God is being thrown out to you. My prayer is that you and I would taste his banquet. That the things that we're tempted to find satisfaction in, many good things that keep us from hungering for the great, would dissipate. And as we walk through these doors on Sunday morning, we would come in like those sheep, seeing that there's something there that I'm going to be given, and I want it. And whether you sit in the balcony or on the front row doesn't matter. The Pharisees would be up here. I'm not saying that's you. <laughs> they would be up here. But they might also be in the back saying, we're not like them. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you enter into this place saying, I've tasted his banquet because he made me taste it. And I want more. He created that hunger in me and he's the only one that can satisfy that hunger. Give me more. Give me more. And he will. Because he's the one who said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So, have you tasted the banquet? If you have, praise God. If today you confess, I've never tasted it. I've been satisfied with so many good things. I've never hungered for the great. Or I've actually been satisfied with bad things and never hungered for the great. Maybe today's the day for you to hear about salvation. 
and come and taste of the only one who can satisfy what you were made for. If that's you, talk to me, to Chad, to one of our other pastors, or somebody that you can just tell is hungering for the Lord and ask them what you need to do. That would be the delight of our life today to explain it to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're very gracious to not only give us your holy word, but to give us the Holy Spirit to illuminate the text so that we can see. Jesus, you were never out of control. You told the truth so that those men could see that they did not belong to you. You shocked them with the truth that the kingdom is going to be filled with people who were crippled, poor, blind, and lame. But for all eternity, those will not be the words that describe us. For we who taste your banquet, the sight of heaven, are promised that resurrection life where there will be no more tears, no more hunger, no more thirst. This endless banquet present with you is what we were made for. God, bring all of us to saving faith. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.